it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Hey, this is Jason Chief. It's actually, I'm filling in for Jimmy today. Jimmy is actually has a very important assignment today. He has been working on a special for some time now about the moon landing. Was it real? Was it fake? I mean, he's got interviews with people like, you know, William Shatner, Buzz Aldrin, and a bunch of people in the space program. And um, as he told me yesterday on this very show, uh, he hasn't yet uh, revealed what his kind of conclusion is going to be. So I th- he's off doing that. And he asked me to come uh, sit in his seat. I'm honored. It's a privilege uh, to try to keep up with Jimmy. Jimmy filled in, filled in with me uh, for me uh, last week on the big weekend show. And um, I was... <laughs> It was very kind of him to do so because I was planning to be there. But then I got a little, you know, well, I wasn't the healthiest that I could have been. And uh, even though I was in New York and to do that in a hotel room, man, not so fun. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, uh, filling it for Jimmy. Uh, we got a lot of great guests coming up um, and a lots to talk about. And uh, I really am excited about this because, you know, there's a few things happening in the news for being the first week of August. Middle of the summer, out at people out on the beach in their cars driving to go see grandma or go do whatever. Truckers on the road all across America. Uh, this is a fun show, and we want to have fun with it. And I uh, want to make sure that we're trying to address and answer any of your questions uh, that you might have. And uh, But I also want to have this uh, good discussion about what's going on. Uh, because there is a lot that's happening in the news, and we're going to kick things off by talking about the former Trump, uh, former president Donald Trump. Because you know, it's amazing to me how all of a sudden there's news about Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, and what happens within 24 hours later? Oh, hey, let's indict Donald Trump. You know, he's probably got one more looming out there, um, and uh, in, in coming out of Georgia. But, uh, you know, you want to see when the next uh, indictment's going to drop. Probably all you need to do is just, hey, let's, uh, let's look at the calendar and see what James Comer's coming up with Hunter Biden. And boom, you'll see it right about then. Uh, joining me on the line is uh, one of my favorites at Fox. Uh, uh, Griff Jenkins is, is joining us. And Griff, thanks for joining us on Fox Across America. Hey, Jason, it's great to join you. The feeling is mutual, uh, and you're doing a great job filling in for Jimmy. And, you know, I was on that big weekend show with you and felt terrible. We missed you, but uh, we made good fun of you in your steed. Uh, don't worry about it. Just don't go back and watch the replay. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> okay, so truth be told, I, I – I did the show on Saturday. It's called the big weekend show. I did it on Saturday. I was supposed to do it on Sunday, but Saturday after the show, um, I was actually on with Lawrence Jones. I went and got a couple slices of pizza there in the city was in bed, you know, asleep before midnight, but about one thirty in the morning, I thought, uh Oh, I got some food poisoning going on. Well, that lasted throughout the night. So that was fun. I'll spare you all the details, <laughs> but I was still so bad. I ended up going to a local hospital because this was not going away. Ends up, I didn't have the food poisoning that I thought, so I don't want to just, just disparage the pizza of New York. I had kidney stones. Ooh, oh. 
Never had those before. Ladies, gentlemen, I recommend you never get kidney stones. Oh, my gosh. Uh, my heart goes out to you. I have not had them, but uh, certainly have had friends that did, and uh, it's crazy. And, by the way, you're talking about your crazy schedule in, in, in a bit of a pivot here. No one has a busier schedule. Like, Hollywood writers couldn't even write a drama with as busy of a schedule as Donald Trump's schedule right now, which is literally going to be courtroom to campaign trail to campaign trail to courtroom back in forth there just aren't enough days i think in the week for them um it, it is kind of crazy all the different you know and it, it all comes out now right he just happens to be leading the polls he just happens to be getting into the thick of the campaign season first votes start happening you know literally about six months from now and i'm sure they didn't you know deal with this two years ago two and a half years ago uh they just conveniently kind of waited till right about now that seems a little suspicious to me um, and, and your schedule has been all over the map too, but what is the latest? Where does Donald Trump go next? We just saw him in court, but what, what remind us because it is such a blur because there's such a flurry of activity. And it's also tough to hold up, uh, to, to keep up with it. And, and, you know, the literal answer to what happens to him next, he's literally getting on a plane in a few hours and going down to Montgomery, Alabama to chair their annual GOP dinner down there. So literally from the courtroom yesterday, where, of course, he pled not guilty to those four criminal charges in this D.C. case related to the 2020 election and the four criminal charges, three are conspiracy, one obstruction, but nonetheless, it's going to be one that uh, is going to be front and center, and he is in legal uh, uh, jeopardy because they're serious charges, and he's got to go back to the D.C. courthouse where I was reporting yesterday on August 28th, but tying it again to this campaign trail – the 23rd is Fox hosting the first GOP debate. We don't know if Trump's going to show up or not. But then just five days later, he's got to be in uh, a federal courthouse for a court date for a trial of which he's facing these four felony charges, which if you add it up, Jason, it could be a maximum of 55 years. And you're talking about Washington, D.C., where less than 10 percent, I think, even voted for Trump the first time. So it's going to be hard, as, as he's already said, he wants to try and get the, the venue moved, which probably won't succeed. But he says it's going to be hard for him to get a fair trial. And you're dealing with a judge. The judge in this case, you're going to hear a lot more about her, is a woman named Tanya Chutkin. She's a 2014 Obama appointee, and she's notable on the federal bench here in D.C. because she's presided over nearly 40 cases pertaining to January 6th riot defendants, of which the majority were found guilty, and she was notable for giving a harsher sentence than that was called for. And so this really, this is just one of the many cases. And, you know, here we are staring down Georgia, as you mentioned. I mean, look, Donald Trump's been indicted three times in four months, facing a total, if you add them all up, from the New York hush money case to the Florida documents case to now the D.C. Jan. Six case, he's facing 78 felonies, and we know that Georgia grand jury down there and prosecutors are looking at indicting him on even more. And so it's going to be quite, quite a, uh, quite a tall task to to try and deal with, as you well know, being out there in the campaign trail. You got the Iowa caucus, New Hampshire primary. You got to be in South Carolina, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Florida at the same time. But yet he's going to be tied up in these court cases. 
Yeah, he's tied up in the court cases, but man, the whole, all the oxygen in the room just gravitates towards Donald Trump. I think it does make it tough for these other candidates to try to get out their message to, you know, even just be on on television or go out and talk to voters because, and, and they're all questions about Trump too. And, but the, the, the prosecution, the, uh, it's just unprecedented. I want you to listen to Newt Gingrich, the former speaker of the house cut nine, uh, on his take of what's going on. I think we have cut nine with Newt Gingrich. We have never seen a major political figure as routinely and methodically assaultive as Donald Trump. It's a sign of how desperate the establishment is. They are terrified that if he's still standing in, in October of 2024, he is going to become the president. And of course, if he does become the president, all of these people are in jeopardy. Remember, uh, Watergate led to 46 people being convicted. Uh, the only U cabinet officer ever to go to jail was Attorney General John Mitchell for obstruction of justice. You know, it it is. Um, I think the speaker. You know, he's he's a great historian, um, and he does understand Washington. Washington. He does understand uh, the political dynamics here. Um, obviously, Donald Trump is a threat. Um, should he should he win and should he prevail? And it does seem like there's such an aggressive approach to Donald Trump. And, you know, that case that we saw, Griff, is, is really telling where you have this prosecutor in the comparison of the Hunter Biden case versus the former police officer. In fact, we got a guest who's going to talk specifically about that later, uh, later in the show. But, you know, given the same set of circumstances, the same charge, and, you know, one goes to jail and the other one doesn't. And it just seems like it's all about Donald Trump. They have Trump derangement syndrome. They want him so badly to be in prison. And, you know, you bring up several good points there, Jason. I mean, number one, as you saw, uh, as all of America watched, uh, Trump did very brief comments there on the tarmac before getting back on Trump Force One and going back to Bedminster. But he called it the persecution of the person that's leading by a lot in the primary. And he said leading Biden as well. And there's no doubt that the more they indict him, the more charges they throw at him, the higher he climbs in the polls. And, you know, yesterday during one of my live shots, I think it was with Neil Cavuto, he was sort of talking about that. I said, listen, let me show you visually what we're talking about when we say that Trump is getting all the attention and the other candidates like DeSantis and Tim Scott and Nikki Haley and Mike Pence, for that matter, can't get any attention. And we just rolled the cameras around and you could just see hundreds of cameras, the media from all over the world yeah. there. And when that's happening, you can't do it. This is very interesting, too, though, to roll to, to fold in just a little bit. And Jason, you know, having been in Congress, having been a chairman of very powerful committees, but we have a letter now this morning from Congressman Adam Schiff, who you may remember from that <laughs> January 6th committee. Yeah. He's asking the, the Judicial Conference to let TV cameras in the courtroom during uh, Trump's trial here in D.C. And a federal judge, this Judge Chucking, it's up to her discretion. She could choose to do that. But, you know, to Newt's point, you got to be careful what you wish for because having TVs in there watching the Trump trial live, which, by the way, is probably going to be something akin to move over Judge Ito. This is going to be even more sought after than, than the OJ trial. But you're, you're going to put 
on live television what so many Americans perceive as a true two-tiered system of justice. So Adam Schiff and the Democrats had better be sure uh, they want what they're asking for. Yeah, because uh, not only that, you know, right now they live in an atmosphere where the prosecution gets to, to have the full reign. They get to say and do everything and they barely give uh, Donald Trump a chance to even even say or mention anything. But boy, you turn on those cameras in the courtroom and then allow Donald Trump and his team to call witnesses and cross-examine and I don't know that they're ready and prepared for that. Um, you're, you're right. It certainly would be um, must-see TV. But I want to play clip six here in a, in a, in a second. This is uh, Josh Kroshar. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm slaughtering his name. Kroshar. He, he was on special – Crush Hour. Sorry. He was in special on special report last night. And he makes a really good point in that so much of this – I think is actually going to center around uh, Vice President Mike Pence. Uh, what does he say? What are his notes say? Um, he's the one that had the direct conversations. He's also a candidate for the presidency. Um, but let's play cut six. Both leading candidates have ethical issues that they're going to have to confront. But I think the the voice that's most important on the Trump issue is Mike Pence. Mike Pence is taking Jack Smith's side. Trump, Mike Pence was in the room during all those conversations. And Mike Pence is mentioned frequently in the indictment that Jack Smith handed down. And Mike Pence said that, uh, you know, Trump's lawyers urged uh the, 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 you know, urged Trump to reject legitimate votes. It wasn't speech, but it was actions. It was part of a conspiracy. And that's, that may be a high burden of proof for, for Jack Smith to, to prosecute, but this isn't just speech. And Attorney General Bill Barr said the same thing last night. Pence said the same thing today. They're going to show that there were actions taken that essentially amounted to a conspiracy. It's an interesting point, right? Because you have a lot of people that I highly, highly respect, Jonathan Turley, Andrew McCarthy, saying, look, these indictments are pretty weak. But I think the point about Pence and his direct comments on this case are going to be pivotal. Without a doubt. And, you know, as I've been covering this 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 week, I've been pointing out, you know, if you read the actual indictment, you see the actual allegations Jack Smith makes and the exact language of Smith's allegation is that. Trump, quote, attempted to enlist the vice president to use his ceremonial role at the January 6th certification proceeding to fraudulently alter the election results. And as as you point out, Pence has been out there uh, saying that, you know, look, I, I'll admit it. Trump demanded I choose between him and the Constitution. But here's the thing. While we know Pence spoke to Jack Smith and investigators, we don't know that he is going to show up at the trial itself and testify against his former boss. So that's yet to be seen, but there's no doubt he is at the center. He is at the center of, of this case, and that's why we're hearing so much about, so who are the co-conspirators? There are six of them listed but not named. We think we know who they are, but it's not confirmed. And one of them, of course, is the attorney, John Eastman, who advised Trump on uh, this this legal theory that Pence had the powers that Pence says he didn't have on that. That day. 
So that's going to be a question of whether or not you can be uh, prosecuted for believing advice that your attorney gave you versus the actual action of, say, carrying out the Eastman plan. So it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of layers here. This is a big onion to peel the layers back. Yeah. Griff, I would need, if you can, stay with us for a moment. We're going to take a quick break, but when I come back, I have one more question I really want to ask you. Great. Let's do All it. All right. We'll be right back. Fox Across America, stay with us. You're listening to Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. I enjoyed it. It was an unbelievably interesting experience. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a persecution of a political opponent. This was never supposed to happen in America. This is the persecution of the person that's leading by very, very substantial numbers in the Republican primary and leading Biden by a lot. So if you can't beat him, you persecute him or you prosecute him. We can't let this happen in America. Griff Jenkins, what's your take on what the president's saying? Well, listen, I think he's going to continue to hammer away at the fact that, you know, when when I did a TV hit, uh, uh, Jason, last night for Talk TV, our, our British partners over there, they were really asking me if we understood how the outside world is looking in and how everyone around the world outside of the U.S. is fascinated and captivated by this looking in because the fact that you have – take the names out of it – you have the leading candidate being – prosecuted so heavily uh, by the sitting president's Justice Department, they see things that they thought they'd never see in America. And that's why you see Donald Trump, now candidate, former president, hammering away on this message. And interestingly enough, you know, if you and I would have had a conversation a year ago and said, you know, the 2024 elections are ways off, but it's going to be issues devoid. No one's going to care about the economy. It's going to be all about the prosecution of Donald Trump. I would have laughed in your face. But now when he hammers this this issue, I think it's uh, – I know it's getting traction with yeah. people just yeah. outside of the of the just fiercely loyal Trump crowd that, that you know, for them, he can do no wrong. Griff Jenkins, thank you so much for joining us on Fox Across America. Stay with us, everybody. We're going to be right back on Fox Across America. It's not an illusion when the Vice President of the United States shows up to dinner with Hunter Biden and the executives at Burisma when he's actually there in person. I believe that Devin Archer testified that he ate. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a ghost, didn't walk through the door. You know, I mean, he didn't pass through walls. He sat down, he conversed, he ate. I mean, so he's had dinners with the executives. He's been on the phone with the executives. What this shows us, Laura, is that everything Biden has said and the White House has parroted is a total lie. 
That's uh, Senator Josh Hawley last night on the Ingram Angle talking to Laura Ingram. And uh, personally, hey, I think he's probably right. I mean, we were told time and time again by Vice President Biden and his, all of his minions and spokespeople and all that that, oh, no, they denied that he was ever at that meeting. Then it, go, it, it morphed to he may have stopped by to say hello. And now, no, we find out that, well, he sat and broke bread and had dinner with these people. Um, and so, you know, this is somebody who said he never, ever had a conversation. And that you have people like Representative uh, Goldman who comes back out and says, oh, well, you listen to the testimony, you know, and they... He may have been on the phone a little bit, um, and he may have, you know, talked about the weather. Are you kidding me? No. What was going on here is they were selling one thing and one thing alone, and that is the Biden access, the Biden name, and the Biden ability to open up doors and get things done for their paying clients, and they were paying the Biden family. That was the gig. That was the influence peddling. That was the quid pro quo. That was – and so – all these little phone calls, all these um, are, are really what, you know, a business term, uh, a proof of concept. Hey, we want to be your consultants. We want to be your people in Washington, D.C. And it's a proof of concept that we can deliver that we are on the inside and that we have the inside track that will give you a competitive advantage against everybody else out there is you want to go with the Bidens because the big guy uh, gets things do, gets things done. And um, the proof of concept was, hey, let me put my dad on the line. Uh, hey, dad, uh, say hello. You know, I got some friends of mine that are on the line here. We just wanted you to take some time and, and say hello and get to know. And, hey, you know, I hope, uh, you know, I can't say enough about Hunter. You know, I don't know what the conversation was, but you can imagine what those conversations were like. It didn't happen just casually one time, and it certainly didn't happen to the degree that Joe Biden says it was, which was never. He multiple times, he said it never, ever happened. He said it's been totally discredited. In fact, let's go to cut 14. Did Burr pay him 183000 a month with no experience in energy? Look, my son did nothing wrong at Burisma. I think he did. Mr. President, let him answer. He doesn't want to let me answer because he knows I have the truth. His position has been totally, thoroughly discredited. By who? (laughs) Good point, Donald Trump. That was back in September 2020. During the debate, they should have flushed out it even more. And the moderator should not be interrupting uh, in those types of situations. All right. Joining me now is a former member of Congress, former colleague of mine when I served in Congress, uh, Sean Duffy, who's now not only Fox News contributor, but he's a host of The Bottom Line there on Fox Business. Sean Duffy, thanks for joining us. Jason Chaffetz, great to be with you as well. By the way, the, uh, Fox Business, The Bottom Line, from 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time, so check it out. No, it's so. a great show with Dagan, and uh, not only do you have a lot of fun, it's a great time slot because you get to hit all the stories and all the things and be able to wrap up the day on Fox Business, 6 p.m., and you're a great host at it. You, well, you always got a smile you, on your and, face. And you come on all the time, which I appreciate. You are the best. Well, it's uh, it's fun. I, in fact, I think I'm going to get to fill in for you next week. So I love that. Good. And by the way, what are we? I don't, there's, there's like nothing going on in the news to talk about at all. So, so wait, so I, I don't want to lose the momentum <laughs> of what we were talking about because we had the president taking on on Joe Biden saying, I think he has done something wrong at Prisma. And again, Joe... Donald Trump has a way of foreshadowing things 
um, that tend end up being true. And everybody says, oh, that's not true. There's no proof. But Donald Trump ends up being right. I don't think it's a coincidence. I actually think he had some information. But what's your what's your take well, on, the, on the, the, just the constant denial by Joe, Joe Biden that he even had a conversation? Wait, go, go back to, the, well, the FBI and the CIA, they're spying on my campaign. And the yes. media left wing was like, oh, no, they're not. No, you're well, how, he's crazy for saying that. And lo and behold, actually, they were spying on his okay, campaign. Can, can I tell you a quick story about this? Yeah. I'm the chairman of the oversight committee at that point. So I call over to the White House, and I usually spoke with either the general counsel or the chief of staff. And I would call over and say, uh, this is a pretty serious allegation. Do you guys have any, like, can you clue me in here? I'm, I, I, this is something I want to pursue, but I, I'm not exactly sure where to start. And they're like, wow, uh, w- let us go. We'll talk to the president. And, you know, I didn't have the in-depth information in order to do that. But even I was like totally caught off guard, totally surprised. But he ended up being 100% right. Well, because the, the the norm would be, of course, our federal bureaucracies would not spy on a presidential campaign. Like, that doesn't happen. We don't do that in America. But all norms are being broken, right? I mean, the fact that you have Hunter Biden, by the way, at the time is crack addicted. You know, he's, you know, a small version of a porn star. No one would hire him to babysit their kids, let alone serve on the board of Burisma, a foreign energy company. And and so he's making all this money. Donald Trump makes the accusation. You have the fifth, what, 51 intelligence officers. Well, that was on, that was on the, the laptop that came out later. But he basically denies it, right? I, that he, my son has done nothing wrong. And, you know, it was basically not making this money. And later on, we find out actually he was making the money. And we were right that it wasn't because he was an energy expert. It's because his father was the one who would do favors through Hunter Biden for Burisma. And it's fascinating how the the White House switches gears and says, Joe Biden has never spoken to his son about business dealings. And then right before the Devin Archer testimony, they switch and say, Joe Biden has never been in business <laughs> with his son, Hunter Biden. And, you know, and, and it's like, well, we have, we've, we've said it a thousand times. We've answered this question. Nothing's changed. It's like, well, actually, that's a pretty big change. That was a dramatic <laughs> change. Yes, because now we, now, now we know that, I mean, by the way, has, have you ever had someone, Jason, uh, have someone on speakerphone and put the phone up to you to try to have a conversation and you are quietly like waving your hands like, no, I don't want to talk. You, Joe Biden could have done that as Hunter Biden, you know, put, you know, these uh, potential clients and current clients on speakerphone for his dad. He could have said no. Well, but he you know, and if it he happens yes. once or twice, right. um, as like, and it, no, wait, 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 I didn't, I, no, I'm not going to talk about any, but, you know, to, to hear the testimony happened more than 20 times. He was golfing with these people. He was meeting with these people. We have pictures. We have voicemails. We have time codes. We we have all of this sort of stuff. And then they totally denied that they were having, um, you know, any interaction. But then we find out that, oh, he did have dinner with the Burisma ex- ex- uh, folks. And, you know, it's not just talking about the weather. What Go- Representative Goldman said was just absolutely embarrassing to say, oh, they just got, you know, they were just talking about the weather. Well, here, I, I have a little different take. I, I would imagine that in some of these phone calls that maybe Devin Archer was on or even these accusations that were talking about the weather, if 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 Hunter Biden with his clients and prospective clients is able to get his father on the phone and talk about, you know, the weather, talk about what his favorite food is, whatever it may be, what it's doing is it's underscoring the point that you're not just hiring me, Hunter, 
my dad is willing to get on and talk about some random things, not about business, but random things just to show you that my father is on board. And when you ask me for something, I'm going to go to him and we are going to take care of you. It is a message to the client, to the prospective client. Yeah, it's a proof Joe's, of concept. It, it's it, a proof of concept. 100%. You're, hi, you're hiring me. You're hiring us, which offers no other products or services except access to Joe Biden and the White House and Barack Obama. And I say that because those meetings did happen in the White House, yeah. several of them. You have access to this administration um, and yeah, you have this, you have this access. This is the proof of concept. And, and Jason, here's what gets me. So, so Donald Trump is investigated on this fake claim of the dossier that he colluded with Russia in the 2016 election. Now the FBI, the department of justice, the CIA, they all know there's, there, there's no fire here. They understand this is, this is a political claim, but they don't like Donald Trump. And they decide under the auspices of Russia collusion, they're going to investigate the current president for the course of three years. They turn his life upside down. They investigate everything about him. And in the end, they find nothing. There's nothing there. But the full force of federal law enforcement is on the back of Donald Trump, his businesses, everything he's done in his life. And now we compare that to Joe and Hunter Biden, where... Listen, there's a lot of smoke here. I think the fire really comes in. Did did Joe Biden make any money from his son Hunter in these foreign business deals um where where Joe was actually providing the juice, providing the 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 um the the, yeah. the policy changes, right? Right. But because- the FBI, the Department of Justice refused to investigate Joe Biden. You can do a simple forensic audit whether you're at the FBI or for the whistleblowers at the IRS, this is simple stuff. It's like you and I riding a bike. You can do a forensic audit and see, did Joe Biden make any money from Hunter? Was he getting paid from other sources? You could tell that in in a very simple investigation. They refuse to do it. They'll turn Donald Trump's life upside down, but they refuse to look at Joe Biden and did he make any money. And I think the reason they won't look at Joe Biden and his finances is because they know that if you look, they know they're going to find something. So yeah, well, that you know those IRS whistleblowers, bless their hearts. I mean, I think they they really went out of their way to say, look, we're we're not MAGA Republicans. We're just trying to do the right thing here, and for them not to be able to do their job, dive in deep, um, and uh, is just so fundamentally wrong. And it is so much of a distraction and noise that comes out. I want to play clip twelve here. This is Jen Psaki um, on MSNBC. This is just very recently talking about what she thinks is going on uh, on the the Republicans in their efforts. There's no evidence of that, but they're going to keep trying because that is the argument that they they want to fuzzy the waters out there, muddy the waters, not fuzzy them, muddy the waters out there. That, by the way, is a tactic that Vladimir Putin and other authoritarian dictators use, but that's their strategic objective, to make it all seem the same. Wow. That's- she can't resist to draw Donald Trump and Putin together. It's unbelievable to say that because there's some curiosity and there's evidence that's actually flowing here, and contrast that with what we heard from Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell for years and years and years and all the leaks that came out of the FBI and the Department of Justice that ended up being nothing, literally nothing. Here you have actual evidence and 
the contrast couldn't be better. And Jen Psaki looks at that and says, oh, that's what Putin would do. Well, you know, I, I, you and I are both conservatives. Um, but I do believe in the rule of law. And if there wasn't anything here, if this was all about politics, I would be the first one. And so would you to stand up to go, listen, you guys, you're, you're, you're going down a path. A you're going after politics. There's nothing here. Our, our system is too sacred to abuse it for political purposes. I would say that wholeheartedly. But that's not the case, Jason. I mean, you had the FBI 1023 form where you had a, an informant come to the FBI and say, Joe Biden actually made $5,000 from Burisma and Hunter made $5,000. So we, that was, you know, the, the, the FBI denied they had it. They finally had to give it to Comer's Five committee. Five million dollars. Five million, yes, five million. They had to give it to Comer's committee. So there's evidence there. We now have whistleblowers that, to our point from the FBI. They were heroic, came out and said, we weren't allowed to look uh, beyond Hunter Biden. We couldn't look at Joe Biden. We also have now all this information about the meetings that have taken place um, from Devin Archer. He's testified to that. We have the laptop that shows that, that, that Hunter, in his own words, talk about the big guy and reserving money for the big guy. He's taking a cut of the proceeds of, of the winnings, if you will, He's taking money from it, and we verified that the laptop is true. All of this is real evidence that Joe Biden was part of the corruption scheme. And just one, one quick point, Jason. If Joe Biden has someone come to his office and say, listen, we'd like you to do this, Mr. Vice President, there's nothing illegal about that. When you were in Congress, you had constituents come to your office all the time and go, sure. Jason, sure. we need to do something about waterways or ski resorts. or uh, There's a whole bunch of issues people will uh, approach you on in elected office. There's nothing illegal about that. Or if you actually agree with them and you do something, you introduce a bill on their behalf, nothing illegal about that. What's illegal here is did, did Joe Biden get paid for it? Because if you as a member of Congress are doing something for someone else and making money off it, that degrades the whole system. That's actually illegal. You can't do it. And that's actually why I think the FBI doesn't want to look at Joe Biden because not only will he be, will he be impre- uh, impeached, he will be prosecuted for committing crimes back as the vice president. Well, look, look let's uh, I want to do this with you, Sean. Um, I'm going to play this clip. This is uh, Joe Biden in October of 2020 answering a question from Kristen Welker. And after that, we're going to go to commercial. And then if you can stick with us, I, I want you to. to respond to it. So here's Joe Biden as we go into commercial. Cut 13. In retrospect, was anything about those relationships inappropriate or unethical? Nothing was unethical. Here's what the deal. My son has not made money in terms of this thing about, uh, what are you talking about, China. I have not had it. The only guy made money from China is this guy. He's the only one. Nobody else has made money from China. You're listening to the show that Standard & Poor describes as Standard & Poor. I would say he's incompetent, but I don't want to do that because that's not nice. This is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. All right, Sean Duffy, who's joining me here uh, on Fox Across America. We just heard uh, audio, um, Vice President Joe Biden telling us that didn't ever make any money out of China. That's not what the Bidens ever did. So are you saying he's lying, Jason? No. Joe Biden Come on. 
in a debate, they never had a conversation. If you don't have a, if you don't even have a conversation about it, how can you be making any money from it? But no, Biden's didn't make any money out of China. That's what he said. And you know, if you're willing to lie about that, there's a reason why you're lying, right? There's a there's a purpose behind it. Because if your son was making money in China and you had nothing to do with it, you're you're not you're not guilty of your 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 son's sins. But if you're guilty of his sins, you have to cover it up. And it also, we should also talk about this, uh, Jason. Why all the shell companies? Yeah. Why do you have all of this this whole apparatus to, to to drive money into the U.S. and diffuse it and then send it back into the Biden family? Why are why are grandchildren making money from the work of Hunter Biden? Why are why are wives making money off the work of Hunter Biden? What's the purpose behind that? And again, those are all relevant and fair questions. And it's interesting. The media is running so hard cover for Joe Biden. Trying to trying to uh, d- diffuse this burning scandal, but in the end, I th- I think the American people are seeing through it, which is why his poll numbers and trust levels are so low um, for Joe Biden. The American people, even though the left wing is covering, the media is covering, we're seeing through it and understand that there's real problems here and real questions that we want real answers to. No, I think you're exactly right, Haley. Haley Biden, she's a school ca- school counselor, and she's making tens of thousands of dollars. <laughs> grandkids getting hundred thousand dollar deposits into their account, and yeah, nothing to Biden's, see here, Jason. Nothing, nothing. Sean Duffy, six p.m. tonight, uh, co-hosting uh, the Bottom Line on Fox Business Network. All around good guy, good chef. He does it all, even cuts timber. Amazing, Sean Duffy. Thanks for joining us on Fox Across America. I'm Jason Chaffetz. Stay with us. Fox America. Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Almost Jimmy Fallon. This is Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Jimmy. Jimmy's uh, he's out recording a special. He's uh, he's got this thing about the moon landing. It's coming up. Um, he's filming like the last part of it before it gets launched itself. Um, about the moon landing, he's got Buzz Aldrin on there. He's got William Shatner on there. He's got he's got a whole host of things. Like, did it happen? Did it not really happen? Was that a fake? And uh, be interesting to see that kind of research in the background. It's going to be a great one. And uh, he's really into this. I mean, can you talk to Jimmy off air? This is what he wants to talk about. He's like totally passionate about it. And. Uh, Thrilled to be uh, filling in for him. It's it's so nice. Um, I I am a Fox News contributor. Used to be a member of Congress. Was the chairman of the Oversight Committee. I got a new book out. It's called The Puppeteers: The People Who Control the People Who Control America. Yeah, if you think it's Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, and no, you'd be mistaken. There are people behind the scenes. We follow the money, uh, and I think you'd be shocked about. And we name the names, who it is and what they do. The puppeteers I have out there. Also have a podcast on Fox, uh, a Fox News podcast called Jason in the House. This week we actually have Kirk Cameron. Uh, remember him from Growing Pains? Good guy. He's out there making the world a better place. Kirk Cameron is. Um, I would encourage you, you want to have an in-depth interview about what he's doing and how he's doing it, check out the Jason in the House podcast. I think you'll really, I think you'll really like it. I had a great, it's one of the best conversations I had had. And, you know, in a podcast, you get the the nice long format. You can uh, do it. So check out Jason in the House. Got a lot of good interviews. Vivek Ramaswamy. Got one with Tyrus. Uh, Elizabeth Smart on there. There's a lot of really good people that we've interviewed along the way. 
and uh, you know more in-depth discussions. So I think you'll really enjoy that. But there's lots happening in the news, and you know what? It's not just Donald Trump, Joe Biden, and the the, the presidential election. These these elections, boy, it's November. Not of this year, of next year. These things go on for far, far too long. And so I want to make sure we're out there actually talking about stuff too, that is not has nothing to do with the election and what's going on because we got everything from the economy and gas prices. You know, I was driving the car. We had to go fill up. Woo! Gas prices zooming back up again. Um, I still think we're going to have continued problems with inflation. Because you have a Biden-Harris administration that will do nothing to drive down the cost of gas. They purposely on day one drove it up. That is the Democratic agenda because they believe if you have higher gas prices, you drive more or drive less. If you drive less, that's good for the environment. That is their formula. And, you know, they're trying so hard, so desperately to put everybody in an electric vehicle. But you know what they really, really want? They don't want you to drive, period. They just don't want you to drive at all. And I've had firsthand experience with this. They just think that you should uh, live within walking distance of where you work. And that if you're going to go somewhere, you have to go somewhere, use public transportation. Of course, that's not how they live their individual lives, but that's what they're preaching and trying to do for everybody else. The bottom line is, if you are going to continue to deal with the economy the way that we are dealing with it, you're not going to solve the inflation problem by having such high gas prices because it makes everything more expensive. Everything along that food chain, everything along in transportation, everything's just more expensive. And that's why when Joe Biden took office and they rose the price of they raised the price of, of fuel in this country, became less energy independent, guess what? Everything went up. And we have massive government spending at the same time. You have the Federal Reserve trying to tightening the spend, try to tighten uh, uh, spending. So we've got these incredibly high inflation rates or in interest rates going on because they're trying to tighten the money supply. At the same time, the federal government is trying to flush as much money into the economy as possible. And that's a bad, bad formula. I uh, also want to talk about some things where there are people having a lot of success. And we're going to go now to the uh, Virginia Attorney General. His name is Jason Miares. I hope I pronounced your name right. Mr. Attorney, <laughs> did I, was that close? Was that in the neighborhood? It is. It's a, it's a Cuban name. And so uh, most people can't pronounce it. The highest pronounced like an E in Spanish. So excellent job. All right. Well, I've, I'm trying. I got the Jason part right. That I got down. So There you go. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, Mr. Attorney General. Um, let's start by talking about voting. I know we're not talking about the election. I don't want to get into the, the characters and the, the candidates or anything else. But they're, in Virginia, my understanding is that uh, Governor Yunkin has this uh, early voting absentee voting initiative. What is this? What does it mean? How does it work? What's What's going on there? Well, I think it's collectively what we kind of learned in 2021 in Virginia, which is let's learn what the rules of the game are and let's go win. And uh, we didn't set the rules. Uh, we had a previous Democrat governor that passed a lot of uh, a lot of rules, but we're going to learn what the rules are. And so uh, we have 45 day early voting in Virginia. No excuse. And so one thing we did in 2021 is we said, listen, we're going to maximize our vote. We went into rural areas. Sometimes it takes 20 minutes to get to a polling place in some of these rural areas. And we really used it to our advantage. We had record turnout in a lot of areas of the state. 
that we had not seen uh, in rural areas. And we used that to say, listen, everybody gets tied up and get tied up at work. They could have a, an accident or an illness that sure. precludes them to vote. Lock your vote in. So that's the first thing is um, locking your vote in. And, and that's a huge part of what we have been pushing and we're bringing that back in Virginia in 2023. We have our own off-year election. Our state house, our state senate right, is up, right. and we want. That's why we want to secure your vote, Virginia, uh, to make sure we maximize those votes and maximize the Republican to get out to vote. Because in Virginia, we have about 500,000 Virginians that uh, vote Republican, that they only vote in presidential cycles. And our job mm. is to communicate and target and let them know, hey, we have elections this year. Uh, here's a chance for you to send a message uh, to Washington about your displeasure of what you're seeing with high gas prices, inflation, and a federal government that seems to not be listening. So um, that's part of our messaging, and uh, we're excited about what we're seeing so far. Yeah, I mean, if you have 500,000 people in just Virginia, imagine what that's like uh, across America and every state. You have too many people that just show up on presidential years and say, eh, I don't know enough about those other races, but, boy, they make a huge difference. They really do. I look if it if it was just me, I wouldn't have early voting. I, I would just have two or three days to vote. You have to bring your ID, and you know what? Everybody vote with the same information at the same time. And uh, I, I I hate this idea that they start voting before they've even had debates. I mean, I, I just don't like it. I mean, there are exceptions for our military. There's exceptions for you know elderly that can't get out of a care center in the hospital. I understand that, but by and large, to say, hey, everybody gets to vote 45 days in advance, you know, you may not like that, but you better understand the rules and play by the rules rather than just cede right. them over to the Democrats. Right. I mean, they're, they're exactly right. We, we've allowed them to take advantage of this issue, and we've said we're not going to get a play on the field. And we realize we can't win that way, particularly in a swing state like Virginia. And the other thing I'll say to your listeners, not just Virginia, but nationwide, is if you if you get tired of the robocalls and opening up your mailbox and seeing 20 pieces of mail, here's an easy way to, to, to stop that. Go ahead and take advantage of voting early because what happens is in 2021, we would get notifications on a weekly basis of everybody that had voted. And once you saw that you were a high propensity Republican voter that had went out and you had voted, we could mark you off our list. We didn't have to communicate with you anymore. And guess what that does? That also frees up resources that we can then go after – there's a low propensity Republican voters, in other words, that, that half a million that I mentioned that only vote in federal elections and say, listen, here's a chance for you to get your message, uh, get a message out to Joe Biden and say, no, this Washington is not listening and it's, it's out of control. And so it actually frees up resources for the campaign, knowing that we have your vote locked in. We can now go after the swing voters and we can go after those low propensity Republicans that don't always vote every year. And so really the huge advantage for those campaigns that can lock those vote in. So that's why we launched Secure Your Vote Virginia. Um, uh, that's why we launched the website. You can just Google it. You can find it. it gives you all the reasons how you can both vote early um, in person or vote absentee. We can lock those votes in. It's a huge advantage. And right now we're not. In the past, sometimes we haven't been playing at all and saying, listen, we don't right, like these right. rules, so therefore we're not going to participate. I don't really think that's an option anymore. We need every every vote we can, and that's what we're emphasizing uh, this new, new initiative. Yes. Well, congratulations to you, because way to take the initiative and be proactive about it, because far too many are just kind of sitting back saying, oh, I don't like it, and then and they, they get behind. So not, not good. Uh, we've been speaking with the Virginia Attorney General, Jason 
Say the last name for me. Miarez. Miarez. I'm going to get it down. Uh, Miarez. It actually, it actually sounds exactly the way it's spelled. So, Jason Miarez, uh, Virginia Attorney General, Thank thanks you. for joining us on Fox Across America. Really do appreciate it. Great to be with you. Thanks so much, Jason. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right, stay with us. We'll be right back. A show so good, it's frightening. I got scared. I dropped my hot pocket. This is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Hey, this is Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Jimmy. And, uh, boy, there's a lot happening out there in the news. But uh, I'm really excited to have uh, Fox News' uh, Lucas Tomlinson joining us. Uh, you've seen you've seen Lucas out there quite far and wide. Lucas, thanks so much for, for joining us on Fox Across America. Jason, always a pleasure. No, I really, I really do appreciate you doing this. And uh, you do some great reporting. You know, I'm always amazed when you, you know, guys like you, you go into the into you know a breaking news situation and have to take the complexity of it and then boil it down into this cohesive and they give you a very specific you have one minute you know and you have to like hit it right on not a minute six not 50 seconds you got to hit it like right on here we've got a little flexibility lucas so loosen up that tie you can just talk we got a few minutes together um but i i I really am you do great work I uh, appreciate that, Jason. Well, good news. I'm not wearing a tie up here in Wilmington uh, with uh, <laughs> President Biden, who's uh, just moved uh, from Rehoboth to his other house uh, here in Wilmington. He, he traded in the, the bicycle and took Marine One here this morning. Well, it seems like a rigorous schedule out there. You know, he's a uh, you spend a lot of time in you spend a lot of time in Delaware, don't you? Mm, indeed. <laughs> um, hey, uh, I, I, I want to get into this um, this uh, this sentencing or this so so called uh, you know plea deal because there's this double standard that is really rubbing people wrong. It really does appear as if you're comparing apples to apples. It's not some far off, far flung situation. But you look at this Baltimore former Baltimore police commissioner um, got sideways with the IRS. He owed, I think it was some $67,000 or something. That's right. And mm-hmm. uh, he got jail time. His name was Daryl D'Souza. Um, and you compare that to Hunter Biden, which had, what, two-plus million dollars where he hadn't paid in taxes? And he wasn't going to go to jail. Give us the, the overview of this and, and, you know, how it's playing out. Sure. Well, first of all, uh, just to compare the two cases, they were both tried by the same Justice Department prosecutor, Leo Wise. So let's start there. Yeah. Uh, as you mentioned, they both involved taxes. The ex-Baltimore police commissioner owed $67,000 in taxes, didn't pay his taxes for three years. He got 10 months in jail, whereas Hunter Biden allegedly owed a heck of a lot more to you know, over $2 million in taxes, and he is not likely to see one day in jail. And some veteran tax attorneys I've spoken to from the Justice Department say this is unheard of that Hunter would cop a, a misdemeanor. You'd get a misdemeanor for this much uh, money. And normally, if uh, most Americans uh, owed this much money, they'd receive about three to five years in jail, Jason. Yeah, I mean, and remember, there was there was earlier um, potential liability on the behalf of Hunter Biden where the statute of limitations was allowed to expire. 
Right. That, that was the big uh, showdown here. Most uh, expected Hunter to waltz in and out of a courtroom here in Wilmington, uh, where I'm speaking to you, uh, going out of the courtroom uh, last week to a call. And the judge, uh, Trump-appointed judge, asked a simple question. Does this prevent you know, further charges? Is this investigation ongoing? Well, of course, uh, the prosecutor uh, knew the answer. The judge knew the answer. She knew what she was doing, of right, course. Right. And the whole thing fell apart. Uh, and, of course, that immunity was at the heart of this whole thing. Uh, so Hunter had to change his plea to not guilty. She said, see you next month. And then Hunter is due back in the courthouse here in Delaware exactly three weeks from today. Oh, and what's going to happen at that? So what are the options? What can happen there when he when he shows back up in three weeks? What what is the judge looking just, for? The judge came assigned uh, both sides, which some people say are on the same side, by the way, you know, Biden's Justice Department and Hunter Biden's attorney. Some would argue, Jason, are on the same side here. Uh, right. They were given specific instructions from the judge just to get this thing tightened up. They were just too, it's too open about uh, could Hunter receive, uh, you know, could he be prosecuted for other charges, for example, being registered as a foreign agent, which of course goes to the heart of his time on that Ukrainian energy company, Burisma, where he received 80000 uh, a month, uh, you know, millions of dollars, uh, while, while his uh, father, of course, owned the Ukraine portfolio under the Obama administration. And of course, uh, President, then Vice President Biden uh, later, or as a private citizen, he later bragged in, in 2018 that he uh, fired Viktor Shokin, that Ukrainian prosecutor that was investigating Burisma. So there's a lot of people wondering, you know, just how far does this go? Of course, this also goes into not necessarily the Hunter's case, but just writ large. Uh, many on Capitol Hill are asking, you know, why was you know then Vice President Biden on the phone so much with Hunter Biden? Of course, right. now thanks to Devin Archer's testimony before the Oversight Committee, which you know a lot about, of course, you know the Oversight Committee that uh, that, that uh, Joe Biden actually met in person. That's what Devin Archer testified with uh, some of these Ukrainian business executives. But going back to, to Hunter and what's going to happen here three weeks from today here in Wilmington is Hunter has to come back to court. Presumably he's going to change his plea back to guilty, and they're going to have to make sure that it's all spelled out uh, what exactly he can be prosecuted for, what he's not going to be prosecuted for. But bottom line, no one is expecting Hunter Biden to go to jail. But what many veteran tax attorneys say is it's almost unheard of to cop a misdemeanor, uh, not see any jail for owing this much money to the U.S. government. Yeah, it, it is stunning. What about the gun charge? Because a lot of people sure, heard. Yeah. I heard Brett uh, Tolman, a former U.S. attorney, said he's never, ever seen anybody, um, you know, an adult like this, get that kind of slap on the wrist for such a serious gun gun charge. Sure. And then the irony of it, right, of, you know, President Biden being, uh, you know, most would accuse right. him of not exactly being pro-gun, right, that his son right. is, is buying handguns. And Hunter even admitted in his memoir that he was uh, high on crack for, you know, every 15 minutes. Here he is going and buying, you know, a 
little 38 special, I believe it was. And uh, yeah, the fact that there's a gun charge, and that also is what unraveled this whole thing, is that the gun part was buried. It was not included in the tax stuff. And there, the judge asked these questions, what exactly does this prevent you know, Hunter being charged in the future? The DOJ just didn't have an answer for that and knew there's other outstanding charges. And yeah, this gun charge is one of them. And then, and, and by the way, the ex-Baltimore police commissioner, uh, Mr. D'Souza, when he was on Fox uh, yesterday, he spoke about that. He's like, listen, I didn't pay my taxes. I paid my debt to society. And by the way, you know, think about being in jail with guys you helped lock up. Not yeah, no kidding. I want to trade places with them, right? Um, that the fact that Lucas, we got to no go. We got a hard out. Lucas, enjoy your time yeah, with the president. We'll be back on Fox Across America. <laughs> It's America's Life Coach, Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Hey, it's Jason Chaffetz. I'm actually filling in for Jimmy. Jimmy's off doing some important work today. Not that the show isn't his number one priority, but he's got a television special that you're all going to want to see. And uh, I've kind of talked about it a little bit, but we're going to transition. We're going to shift some gears here because uh, I'm excited. We've got a guest coming up in just a moment as soon as we get him on the line. Um, who's deeply involved in the political, um, in the political scene, uh, so much so that he decided that, Hey, you know, I'm going to run for president. And so, uh, we've got Vivek Ramaswamy as we get him on the line here. Uh, we, we got a lot to talk about because there's so many crazy, weird things that are going on in the world. And, um, you know, you got somebody who's right in the heart and the thick of it. And, uh, this is going to be a, a fascinating, fascinating little discussion because, not only do you have the Trump, the Trump indictments and all that that's going on. I don't want to dwell on that. I don't want to spend too much time on that because there are a lot of other things that are going on in the world. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things that you got to get concerned about. You know, that you worry about with Kamala Harris and Joe Biden is do they have the cognitive capability, the mental agility to deal with the literally hundreds of things that are come before a president's desk and on a moment's notice? And, you know, generally, if it gets to the president's desk, it's not going to be an easy question. This is not going to be like, hey, you know, uh, you know, do you want to sign this this document, to, you know, congratulating some team on winning a national championship? I'm sure they do that. And that takes, you know, 20 seconds. But the issues that become come before the United States, you know, here you have we have we're just talking to Lucas Tomlinson. He's off in Delaware. The president has spent the equivalent of more than a year outside and outside of the, the Oval Office and the, the White House. And, you know, it's absolutely amazing the pace in which he should be doing the job and what's actually happening. But let's talk about somebody who has a whole lot more energy, a whole lot more enthusiasm um, and is part of a new generation and is one of the most exciting candidates out there right now for the presidency. And that's Vivek Ramaswamy. Vivek, thanks for joining me and uh, the uh, Fox Across America. Good to be on. How are you? Good. Fired up. I'm excited about all the things that are going on. And I got to tell you, you know, I, I had a chance to chat with you a couple times, guest hosting on air and then on my podcast, the Jason and the House podcast, where we did this really good kind of in-depth background about your growing up and who you were and where you came from and highly encourage people to listen to that because um, a lot of good just background about you and what you're doing. But I want to get your sense and your take on what's going on in real time right now as you're campaigning. Cause I got to tell you, 
highly impressed. You're like in the top three. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, we're just getting warmed up is the way I see it. So the reality is I'm the only one, I think, leading us to something. And I think that's something voters are actually hungry for, where you know, I think our movement has for a long time you know, been running from something, criticizing the left and the radical agenda. And I think that there's a hunger for saying, here's what we actually stand for. Here's an affirmative agenda, not of race, gender, sexuality, and climate, but of the individual, family, nation, God. That's something I think people are really hungry for right now, Jimmy, and I think it's a big part of what accounts for our rapid rise in this race so far. Well, I'm actually Jason Chaffetz filling in for Jimmy, but I'm honored that you would call me Jimmy. (laughs) Sorry about that. We started... Well, we started talking, and it is Jimmy Failure's show, no doubt about it. And you kind of jumped down there as I, I was – you didn't hear the first part of everything I was talking about. But um, I was singing your compliments about, uh, you know, the vigors of the job and how much you have to be ready and prepared to do and the generational shift. Talk about that generational shift because, you know, we got a bunch of octogen, octogenarians running this place. I, I look at everybody from – you know, Diane Feinstein to Chuck Schumer, he's not quite 80, I don't think, but Joe Biden, and you got mm-hmm. some really just some sloths out there that don't move at the pace of of your generation. Well, I, look, I do have fresh legs. It's true. Yeah. I'm 37. I'm the youngest person actually ever to run in our party. But I think it's more than just youth. I think the fact is young people across this country are actually so hungry for a cause. We are so starved, actually, for purpose and meaning and identity at a time in our national history when the things that used to fill that void, faith, patriotism, hard work, family, these things have disappeared at the same time in our national life. That leaves a moral vacuum in its wake. And so, yes, I think it takes someone of my generation. I'd like to think, you know, Jason, let's hope that my best days are still ahead of me. When I leave office in January of 2033, my older son still won't yet be in high school. I hope my best days are still ahead of me. But to see a country whose best days are still ahead of itself as a nation, and that is how I see it. And I think people are hungry for that vision. I think it will take a new generation to lead us there. That is what we're doing in this race. You know, but the, every day we're dealing with the, the bombardment of just flat-out craziness. Um, you know, right mm-hmm. now at the top of foxnews.com, there's a story about the mayor of Chicago. He's asked by the reporter um, about using – the reporter wanted to talk about the mob. And this these were dozens of looters that were out there. And instead of addressing the issue, the mayor really took issue with the idea of calling them a mob as if that was something that was wrong. Well, I think this culture of fear is really something that's spread across this country like an epidemic. There is a gap between what people are willing to say in private and what they're willing to say in public. And it afflicts from CEOs to mayors to publicly elected officials. Even in the Democrat Party, many of the time, the people who are actually in charge, even if they're a left-leaning or Democrat voting CEO or mayor, in private, they'll believe what you and I believe is a matter of common sense. But in public, there's this culture of fear. And so that's for me, is one of the things that the next leader of this country can do. 
is to just create a culture of say, let's start talking openly again. Let us speak the truth. Maybe we'll disagree some of the time, but that's okay. That's what unites us as Americans. And I think that that's something that we miss in this country. We have missed for a long time. We have a government, be it a mayor or be it a president or be it a governor or or anybody in elected office, who has gotten into the habit of believing that we the people cannot handle the truth. Actually, just earlier this week, for example, on a different topic, was in Nashville calling for the release of that transgender shooter's manifesto. The police in Nashville, the Republican governor of Tennessee, still have not yet released that manifesto because, again, the belief is in certain cases where it's politically touchy, you have a transgender shooter there, the public can't handle the truth. And I think we live in a moment where my message when I went to Nashville is, yes, you know what? We the public, we the people, we can handle the truth. And trust is a two-way relationship. And I think a big part of the reason why people in this country don't trust their elected leaders is that the government doesn't trust the people. And so do I believe that's what the mayor of Chicago actually believes? No, I don't. I think it's just a product of this culture of fear in our country. And the only way to break through it is to start talking openly again. That is what I'm doing in this campaign, and that is the way I will lead this country as president. So the United States was recently downgraded in terms of its uh, its credit rating, and it had a devastating effect on the markets. And I think it is a realistic uh, assessment of how bad the national debt and deficit is. How how do you address that? It is such a massive problem, and yet there doesn't seem to be the political guts to actually face up to the reality of it. Instead, you hear all this this you know cute talk on both sides of the aisle to try to justify how we're thirty two trillion dollars uh, in debt at this point. Yeah. So look, I think a couple things I would say is we were downgraded because of the debt to GDP ratio. That's actually the metric that matters if you're looking at sovereign or national creditworthiness. Well, there's two ways to work on this. One is on the debt side, which is going to involve difficult decisions regarding what gets cut and what doesn't. My view is the first thing that's got to get cut is the bureaucracy, the administrative state, the overhead costs in the federal government itself. That much we can agree on without controversy. That's on the debt side and the spending side. But on the GDP side, it's almost as though both parties have abandoned the possibility of GDP growth itself. I am a pro-growth candidate. In fact, I'm the pro-growth candidate in this race. Our GDP growth is abysmal right now. We've grown at over 4% GDP growth for most of our national history compared to one point something percent now, and that compounds year on year. So if we can get to 4 5-plus percent GDP growth, and I believe we can, then that actually solves our creditworthiness problem too. How do we get there? Drill, frack, burn coal, embrace nuclear, unshackle U.S. energy, something we haven't done in a very long time. We should no longer pay people more to stay at home than to go to work, especially at a time when the top obstacle to any business growing in this country is finding workers to fill the open positions. We should have no reason to pay people more to stay at home. Even seniors who choose to work, they make the choice to work, but they're eligible for receiving Social Security – Many of them only make two cents for every additional dollar they earn. That's a travesty. Why are we creating disincentives to work? And so I think this is the real answer is drive GDP growth in this country. I've built multi-billion dollar businesses. I've lived the American dream. I know how to do it. And that goes beyond partisanship. It should be uncontroversial, at least in theory. And then we have the basis to then go back and make the hard cuts when everybody's making more money. 
Well, and that that I think the the worker participation rate that to me is one of the key metrics that has to be addressed. I mean, you mentioned it. Hey, it's you know it shouldn't be more lucrative to take a, be on the government dole than to get out there and actually get a job. But the worker participation rate is so consistently low. You just can't sustain that. And so Democrats will look at that equation and say, well, that's why we need all these immigrants is we need people to do the jobs that Americans won't do. And that's the argument for bringing in four million people. Just so happens that we're short of housing in this country by about four million homes. So, you know, Democrats don't have, I think, good solutions. But what would be the Vivek Ramaswamy way to address all of that? Well, look, I think that... Regulation actually is an agenda. It's almost something that we've forgotten about. The main source of unconstitutional regulations is indeed the unconstitutional deep state itself. So I've said that I will shut down agencies that should not exist, from the IRS to the ATF to the FBI to the U.S. Department of Education to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. I understand it. And, you know, I don't like to boast about this, but just to be honest about it, I am probably the single presidential candidate in the last 30 years who has the deepest understanding of how to actually get it done. We have been offering unprecedented detail on the specifics of shutting down the administrative state. And so I think that's something that will help a lot. The other thing is West Virginia versus EPA. It is a recent case in last coming out of the Supreme Court last year that actually is a boon for the next president who's willing to use it which says that if those EPA regulations were unconstitutional because Congress didn't give the EPA the authority to regulate the coal industry, it turns out that most federal regulations fail that test. And so I will rescind most of those federal regulations that are unconstitutional. That's the key to really taking the wet blanket off the economy because that's what holds most businesses back, both large and small. And that gives you a sense of how I'll be able to lead in the first year in office. And the beauty of everything I've just told you, Jason – is that that is without asking Congress for permission or for forgiveness. And that's different than the mistake most presidents make. Even Trump, his legislative agenda was repeal and replace Obamacare. When Congress didn't want to do it, that put a little pinprick in the otherwise momentum of the balloon that was rising up. Well, I'm not making that same mistake. I'm looking at what the U.S. president can already do directly, is empowered to do with the regulatory state and the administrative state. And it turns out the bright side of that is the damage that's been done by those three-letter agencies, it is in the power of the next U.S. president to reverse it. I understand that. I understand it deeply. I think it will take an outsider to get that job done, likely of a different generation. That's exactly what I'm bringing to the table and a big part of my motivation to get in there and get to work starting in January 2025. Um, Last question. We we only have a short amount of time here, but what Dealing with the Department of Education and all the craziness that comes from that, how, how do you how do you address that specifically? Answer: Shut it down. You cannot tame that bureaucracy. Betsy DeVos, she was a good person. Trump put her in charge, but you know what? It's spending more money than it ever has, using its money as a cudgel to get local schools to adopt toxic and racial gender ideologies. What I've said is the president can shut it down. Take that eighty billion dollar budget. Put it in the pockets of parents across this country to fund the underfunding gap for school choice. That's how we actually drive change in this country, is empower parents to choose, even if they're poor, empower them to choose where they send their kids to school. That's true equality of opportunity. That's how we actually drive competition. That's actually how we drive choice. I, I favor school choice 2.0, which is you know 
many of those many of the schools that spend the most money per student are also the schools with the poorest academic results. And so on a per student basis, I think parents should be able to take money with them from that school, starve the bureaucracy. This is how we drive change. Yeah. If you're going to teach it online, if you're going to teach it in the classroom, publish it online. Transparency choice, that's the answer. But the next president can cut off the head of the snake, as I will, shut down the U.S. Department of Education, give the money back to the people. Yeah, I know. I've been in that camp for a long time. I wholeheartedly agree. I care about education so much. I don't even think there should be a federal Department of Education. Let the money follow the kids. And let the parents be involved and engaged in, in increased competition, more charter schools, more more school choice. Amen to you there. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, highly impressed with what you're doing. We're looking forward to seeing you on that stage on August 23rd for the first presidential debate on Fox News. Con- congratulations to you thus far. You've been a great voice in this campaign. Well, I appreciate it. We're just getting warmed up, and uh, I'm looking forward to that. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for taking the time, and we'll be back on Fox Across America. Taking the edge off, one story at a time. America needs to learn how to lighten up. You're hanging out with Jimmy Fallon on Fox Across America. In particular, we will discuss the work that we will do together to strengthen our space cooperation, you and I spoke briefly about the beginning of the next era and for you what that means in terms of your leadership and your vision for the future. And certainly strengthening our space cooperation would be a part of that agenda. Including, of course, using our space cooperation to think about how we strengthen the economic prosperity and development of our nations. Ah, Kamala Harris, the Vice President, offering today's word salad using... The phrase, our space cooperation, three times in 30 seconds. That's unbelievable. She, This is a consistent theme of hers, how she will come out and talk about very important issues, very important issues, by using the same word over and over. It's sort of like, you know, that kid who's in school and says, tell me about how we talk about puppies. Well, we talk about puppies because puppies are important because puppies, it's just unbelievable how shallow she is in terms of her ability to communicate. But she is the Vice President of the United States. That's Kamala Harris with today's Word Salad. I'm Jason Chaffetz filling in for Jimmy. Stay with us. Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Actually, it's Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Jimmy. And thanks for joining us on Fox Across America. we got a lot going on. And we're going to go right to Capitol Hill, where the resident expert for Fox News, Chad Pergram, is. Um, Chad, thanks for thanks for joining me this uh, Friday afternoon. Do appreciate it. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Hey, no. hey now, uh, c- Congress is gone uh, into recess. No, they're um, not. They're not. There's enough going on up here. They're not really gone. They're uh, not really we- gone? Who's... Who's no, hanging I mean, out here? The idea that, that it doesn't matter, you know, as you know from serving in Congress, is kind of a state of mind. Right. And, <laughs> and even though they're not in session, that doesn't mean there's not a lot going on. That's why we had this Devin Archer transcribed interview on Monday. There's all this talk about impeachment. Uh, it just goes on and on. You know, uh, it, it doesn't matter whether they're here or not. There is plenty going on. 
Well, you're all, I always so impressed how on top of it, you, you really are. And there are a lot of moving parts out there. Let, let's talk about this, you know, GOP concern about the two tier system of justice. Um, you have, uh, chairman, uh, Jim Jordan with his, uh, judiciary committee, but also the weaponization subcommittee. What, how, what, what are their plans? What are they actually working on to tackle this? Well, they actually think, if you talk to these Republicans, that, uh, you know, that, that this is retribution. And so that, therefore, anything that uh, is going on with this investigation uh, for uh, uh, President Trump and the indictments is a way to kind of undercut him in 2024. Um, I mean, we can debate about that. Uh, obviously, you know, that would require a pretty nefarious plot, obviously. Um, but when you look at the Hunter Biden uh, plea agreement, and how that was handled, and questions that Jim Jordan, the chair of the Judiciary Committee, has for David Weiss, the special counsel, uh, excuse me, the U.S. attorney for Delaware, um, whether or not he actually had the power to fully charge and, uh, and handle that case, or whether there was pressure coming from above. This is where Republicans, and even if there's not, you know, at the very least politically, what Republicans can do is say, oh, you see, it must be this. So therefore, you know, they're being so unfair. They're being they're really treating Hunter Biden with kid gloves and they're going to the mat with former President Trump. Um, again, that's the problem. You know, and there's a lot of Republicans and, and voters out there who think that's the case, even though it might not be the case that there's, you know, the fix is in here on both Hunter Biden, uh, you know, to exonerate him in some way and, and really uh, lay into President Trump. Earlier in the show, we were talking about the comparison of the Hunter Biden uh, prosecution, the, the lapsing of the statute of limitations, and the severity of the charge really kind of comparing apples to apples between the Balt former Baltimore Police Commissioner Daryl D'Souza and Hunter Biden. Is that getting traction is up, up there? Because he would be a fascinating witness to have uh, come as a committee. If I was a committee chair, well, and I used to be, that's the yeah, kind of guy I'd like to hear from. That. Yeah, it's something people looked at, and, and, and Republicans, anytime, and you know this, anytime you find somebody who might be able to say, well, this was handled differently, they were basically the same charges, they can turn that around and say, oh, obviously, that, that you know, this was handled differently for Hunter Biden. And that is a, a narrative that Republicans will certainly try to curate here. Um, let's switch gears for a second. I think one of the biggest challenges facing Speaker McCarthy uh, moving forward is the appropriations process, because... The appropriation season, you may say, hey, it's August, we're not paying attention to that. But boy, when you come back, you literally only have days on the on the congressional calendar to deal with this mammoth thing. And there does not seem to be the consensus that would be needed in the House. The government has a very high chance of shutting down. And the difference this time is that you have some Republicans, some conservatives, Bob Good, Republican from Virginia, has said, oh, yes, well, we don't think it's that bad an idea. Now, now it's interesting to hear this from Bob Good, who's very conservative, one of the most conservative voices in the House, because his district has some rural areas in Virginia. But it starts to creep a little bit close to the, the northern Virginia exurbs of Washington, D.C., and there are people in that district who work for the federal government or are involved in the federal government, and they probably would disagree with that assertion from Bob Good. And certainly a lot of the rest of the, uh, uh, of, uh, the Virginia delegation, Don Beyer, who represents Alexandria and Arlington, Jerry Connolly, who's a little further out, you know, this is the federal government. Now, some Republicans, you know, their modus operandi is not necessarily to keep the government open and everything else. 
their goal here is to be disruptive. They think the government is corrupt, and anything they can do to kind of short-circuit it, which a government shutdown would be, even if they just do that for a little bit of time, uh, you know, that that accomplishes their goal. They're not there actually to, to, to legislate in that sense. They get a lot of plaudits back home for doing that. And now, this reminds me an awful lot of what happened in 2000, excuse me, in 1995, when you had the so-called Gingrich Revolution. Republicans got control of the House for the first time in 40 years, and lo and behold, the government shut down. Uh, in fact, there were three partial government shutdowns from the fall into early January. And the big loser in that was Newt Gingrich and the Republicans. Bill Clinton basically had Newt Gingrich for lunch at the end of that process. And so we've seen Republicans go to the mat uh, several times with this since 2000, um, since 1995. The, the, you know, we had the big one in 2013. We had a big one under former President Trump. And nobody ever seems to win in this. If anybody, the Democrats are the ones who seem to win. The problem for Republicans if they shut down the government, is it might appeal to their base, but to the voters at large, especially swing voters perhaps in swing states, is that Republicans cannot govern, uh, that they're not interested in governing, they are too extreme, they're spending all their time talking about potentially impeaching the president uh, or impeaching Alejandro Mayorkas or Merrick Garland. Um, You know, what have they really done? You know, Fitch, the credit ratings agency, just downgraded after the debt ceiling, you know, right. I'm not going to call it a debacle, but we had a, a dance with the debt ceiling a couple of months ago here. They said that the credibility of governance in the United States, which used to be the pinnacle of governance on the planet, is one of the reasons they downgraded the credit worthiness. They do not have confidence in the way we govern. And, and, and toggling back and forth to debt ceiling crises and government shutdowns is part and parcel of that. No, look, I was in Congress during some of that, and um, it doesn't seem to end well. But those who are deeply and genuinely in their heart of hearts concerned about the trajectory of the national debt, you know, when and how do we actually address this? And I I, I guess it's going to be an interesting question for the voters because $32 trillion in debt, spending more than $2 billion a day just in interest on that debt it's just not sustainable. So how do you actually make a trajectory change? And that's the challenge really for the speaker. And no one ever has. And, and you know what could happen? Kevin McCarthy could actually keep the government open if there was a coalition, and there would be, of Democrats and Republicans uh, to do so. Uh, the question is, does he inflame his right flank when he does that? You know, he got an awful lot of criticism from the right because that debt ceiling bill had more Democratic votes for it than Republicans. If he comes back with that again, that's going to be another chink in the armor. And at some point, uh, you you know, that that bill is going to come due for Kevin McCarthy. Um, You know, they they have already started to write the appropriations bills below the spending levels of what uh, was agreed to in the debt ceiling package. And you know what happened over uh, in late July? They were going to do two appropriations bills in the House. Do it by the regular order. This is something Republicans talked a lot about. And they did one, uh, and then they could not do the agriculture one. There's 12 total. And if you can't, and that's supposed to be a pretty easy one. Yeah, you know that's that from an easy your time one. That's low hanging fruit. And, and the reason is because it's about the math. And the math does not work because you're cutting so much that you're losing either other, you know, more moderate Republicans, and the Democrats don't yeah. go for this at all. And so you back yourself into a corner here. And what do you say? Well, you, you can't pass any of these bills, you know, so you can't really criticize the Democrats. And the Democrats in the Senate got all 12 
of their bills out of committee, by the way. Yeah, that is truly amazing. Chad Pergram, I think they're on Capitol Hill, resident expert, all around good guy. Thanks for joining us on Fox Across America. We do appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, stay with us. We got a lot more coming up on Fox Across America. Call and speak to Jimmy now. I'm trying to use the phone. 888-788-9910. You're listening to Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Hey, it's Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Jimmy. And uh, we were just talking with Chad Pergram, right? We were talking about uh, the flailings of what's going on in Congress. One thing I wanted to note. In 1972, the United States uh, did uh, what was called the, uh, they did some budget reform. And since that 1972 Budget Reform Act uh, was put in place only one time, one time uh, since then, have we gone through what's called regular order, where the 12 appropriations bills actually pass through the House of Representatives, go on to the Senate, they go into conference, they make the adjustments, and then they uh, actually fund the government the proper way. Guess what? That one time that happened during the Clinton administration when Newt Gingrich was the speaker, it's the one time where the the budget actually balanced. In fact, uh, they even had a hearing on Capitol Hill with the Federal Reserve wondering if there was no debt, what would it look like? What? How would the Federal Reserve be able to help manipulate the economy? That's so interesting and such a far cry from where we are with $32 trillion in debt. You know, if you spend a million dollars a day every day, it'd take you almost 3,000 years to get to $1 trillion. And we're $32, we're $32 trillion in debt. We pay more than $2 billion a day in interest on that debt because interest rates have, have risen. We're going to be spending more on our debt than we are our national defense. And that is the concern. So Fitch comes in and a lot of people say Fitch, you know, who's Fitch, you know, but they're the ones that, that actually do the rating services. So as you issue bonds and whatnot, you know, what kind of rating, what kind of return, what kind of confidence can you on the world market have in buying these? Well, let's get, listen to Kevin O'Leary, Kevin was uh you know he's on shark tank you've seen him mr wonderful he's called uh, let's go to cut 25 he was on hannity the hannity the other night talking about this cut let's 25. go to that finch downgrade it has nothing to do with politics downgrades are based on policy and what they're doing is if you're a company or a sovereign like the united states and you issue debt they rate it single a double a triple a triple a is the best you can get America for a long time has always been AAA because people have faith that the government will pay back the bonds that people buy from them. And most of the world trades on the American dollar in commodities. If you're a sovereign wealth fund in the Middle East or in Norway or in Switzerland, a lot of your liquidity is in American dollar treasury bills. And that's the concern is that the world has pegged its currency to the U.S. dollar, but now it's being downgraded because there is a consequence to this debt. You know, a lot of people just look and say, oh, what, what difference does it make? You know, it uh, doesn't really affect me, but it does. And right now we're seeing an economy that is in conflict with each other. On the one hand, the Federal Reserve has raised interest rates to really high levels. 
because they're trying to tighten the money supply, right? Too much money chasing too few goods equals inflation. That's why things cost a lot more than they did a year or two years ago. And so it, it, this is the problem. They're trying to tighten the money supply. Meanwhile, Congress and the president are pushing more money out than ever. Our highest levels of spending are out there. And so when you're flushing the money, we're almost one out of four, every $4, every $5. Think about how big that number is. One out of every $5 spent in this country, the entire of the economy is spent by the federal government. That's everything from, you know, going to your local sub shop to get a sandwich to buying weapon systems to what you, what your local government spends on police force. I mean, everything, every paycheck the entire economy, the entire gross domestic product. That's the problem. And that's the rub. And that's where there's such a, such a conflict. You know, there was a lot of criticism by the Democrats that said, Oh, well the Trump tax cuts. And I'm sure going into the election use is what you're going to hear. They devastated. They raised the deficit. No, they did not. All time record revenues to the United States treasury happened when, and after the Trump so-called Trump tax cuts. It made the economy more aggressive, more competitive, and more vibrant. And the consequence was the revenue went up. Even though the tax rates came down, the revenue went up. Because guess what? People keeping their own money, having more money to invest and make uh, purchases, that was vibrant to the economy. People created things. They sold things. Um, things happened overseas. And so they cut taxes, revenue went up to the treasury. And that was a good thing. But this discussion about how we do appropriations, it gets so lost and so muddled and so dumbed down to a, a bumper sticker politics. You know, there's just a conservative bent in me that just says, hey, we're just trying to, you know, if, you, if you're gonna spend it, you, you have to raise the money and you can't have so many people living off the federal dole. A lot of people say, oh, well, you know, if you just cut this department or you just cut that department, that's not the problem. It is the problem, but it doesn't solve the problem. It's a better way to say that. There's only so much you can do there unless you have some fundamental changes. 75%, roughly, roughly, and I'm, I'm rounding by a big number here, okay? Roughly three quarters of our federal spending is mandatory programmatic spending. Medicaid, Medicare, Social Security, and hundreds, hundreds of other programs. That's the problem. They spend so much money. The discretionary budget, the biggest one out there, Department of Defense. Then you have the interest on the debt. And then you have all of these other departments and agencies. Now, you got to have reform. You got to cut some things there. You got to cap some of those things so that they don't continue to go out of control. Are you telling me that you can't just go out and cut four, 5% off of these departments and agencies and that you'd have some less, uh, you know, something less than, than what you're getting now? No, they're so bloated. There's far too many federal workers making far too much money. There's some good quality people, but I'd much rather pay less people and pay them more. But you know what? That's not the trajectory. That's not how the Biden-Harris administration is working. And when you spend literally by the tens of billions of dollars money overseas, fighting wars, giving out aid, there's a lot of people here in the United States who just don't understand why that's the case. 
Those are legitimate questions to ask. And when you have the Inflation Reduction Act and you have these other big bills that go out and spend trillions of dollars, create $370 billion in a climate slush fund because they couldn't have gotten it sold as, you know, the, the Green New Deal. Then people start to scratch their head and say, wait a sec, you're not good stewards of our money. And when we had COVID, guess what? We had more than $100 billion go out to fraud and go overseas. You can get those numbers from the United States Secret Service. You can get them from the, uh, the inspector general who's looking at that. We're talking about massive fraud that was just stolen from the American taxpayers. So why, federal government, why administration, should we give you more if you can't even take care of what you have? So I appreciate, let me get on this pedestal and talk about this. But this is going to be the big discussion when we turn the corner into September. How do we fund the federal government moving forward with the new, um, the, the new uh, fiscal year that's upon us? And it'll be part of the presidential debate. And this is what the type of thing that we should be having a discussion in our country. I happen to think we need a balanced budget amendment. Congress has shown they can't balance budgets. Do that. Stay with us. Uh, we got Lee Zeldin coming up right after this. You're listening to Fox Across America. I'm Jason Chaffetz filling in for Jimmy. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Jimmy. And uh, I'm proud to have somebody who's just an all-around good guy. Son, one of my favorite people on the planet. And that's Lee Zeldin. Lee, you there? Yeah, hey, it's great to be with you, Jason. I do appreciate it. I read the script just like you wanted me to read it. I hope that was what you wanted for an intro. Yeah, no, I actually, I, I thought it was going to last like a minute and a half, just saying really nice things. Yeah, about, I had to pare uh, it down a little bit. About us being friends and serving together, but yeah, you cut it down, it's all good. Yeah, you it's know. All good. Great to be with you. Lee uh, served his nation in the military. He served in Congress, where I got to know him. He was the gubernatorial candidate for uh, the New York governorship, and oh, came so close to pulling that off. Now, there's a lot of people, Lee, that are kind of hoping and pleading and wanting you to run for the United States Senate against Kirsten Gillibrand. And if you're happy to make that announcement here on Fox Across America, we're, we're open to it if you, if you want to make that announcement. Yeah, no, I, I will make sure that uh, if that imaginary day in the future comes, that, uh, that, that the first call is uh, making sure that you're on the line with Jimmy and we'll, uh, We'll make a real big splash. I'll tell you, you know what's crazy about it is that the what, what really got so many people talking about it is that Gillibrand was you know doing multiple media interviews. She couldn't stop talking about me running against her, and she's <laughs> you know talking trash. She's putting out fundraising emails mentioning my name. So then you have all sorts of people in the media in New York asking me whether or not it's true that I'm going to run against Kirsten Gillibrand. I'm like, man, I, I haven't thought about this. At all. The only reason why this conversation is happening is because she can't get my, my name out of her mouth. Um, listen, I, I would say this. If uh, anyone out there, whether you live you know, in New York or anywhere else in the country, and you're just analyzing politics and, and Congress in 2024, New York has millions of more Democrats than Republicans 
and it's easier to run when it's a midterm election. You're at the top of the ticket running for governor versus running in a presidential year where you're not the top of the ticket. I mean, Kirsten Gillibrand might be the luckiest member of Congress of other side of the aisle anywhere in the country. If she was running in 22 or maybe she was running next in 2026, she would have a really difficult time because as lazy and ineffective and unmemorable her time in the Senate has been, it's been a wasted Senate seat that a lot of Democrats yeah. realize, too. She'd be vulnerable. It's, um, it's you know, easier for her to survive an election in 24 than it would have been in a different type of a turnout in another year. Yeah, you know, I can't think of a single thing she's done. She's certainly not a, a thought leader and a voice leader on anything, you know, from a state that produced, you know, a Patrick Moynihan who really did move the meter on a lot of things. I would not necessarily agree with him on everything, but boy, he had a presence and uh, he was amazing. And, you know, as critical of I, as I am of on Chuck Schumer, I mean, he is the majority leader in the Senate, but she's just kind of flailing out there doing pretty much nothing. Yeah, there was, I mean, listen, I spent 12 years in elected office, four years in the state Senate, eight years in the House. I remember single months where in that month I would see Schumer in my legislative district three times. I will tell you in 12 years in elected office, I only recall seeing Kirsten Gillibrand in my district one time. And Schumer couldn't possibly disagree with him on more. Uh, you know, I think that uh, a lot of the way he handles his politics, his rhetoric, uh, he's you know like one of the worst politicians. But another way of looking at it, you could say he's one of the best politicians. Uh, he is a show horse, but he's also a workhorse. And quite frankly, Kirsten Gillibrand is neither. Yeah, and, and it's not like you're way outside the city. You're there on Long Island. It's not like you've got some really difficult, uh, you know, district to get to. Um, it's just, anyway. Um, hey, I want to play this montage. It's cut 21. I want to play this montage of uh, Kamala Harris and others talking about the, by how Bidenomics is working. All of this is part of our blueprint together for what America can be. This is Bidenomics. Today, we got additional evidence of Bidenomics is working. The American economy continued to show resilience. Now, with Bidenomics in action and some of our investments playing out, 35,000 investments in 4,500 communities across this country, we are starting to see some results. How is Bidenomics not an era of high inflation and rising unemployment rate? Well, take a look at where we started and where we are now. And I'm here to say we have more work to do. Uh, they do have a little bit more work to do. Is it working for uh, the people in your neck of the woods there, Lee Zeldin? Well, you know what's missing? It, yes, Kamala Harris is lecturing us about Bidenomics. You know that, I mean, we're all just waiting for her to say, you know, Bidenomics, two words, Bidenomics. <laughs> you really want to play this out as far as the policies go. You know, the supply chain issues, having a an open border coming in and uh, stopping the Keystone XL pipeline and all these people weren't able to, to get jobs. The the flawed energy policy, the the economic policy with that has resulted in inflation, which has been outpacing wage growth increasing. They're just hoping that all they need to do is 
say Bidenomics over and over and over again, and it sounds like it comes with a plan. And really, if you were to look at all of the different policies that impact the economy, Bidenomics is kind of like Obamacare, where you know, eventually, if you really want to dig into what does it actually mean, uh, it's a massive liability. I don't think Americans want Bidenomics. I think Americans want to have an economy that's ripping, that they want wage growth outpacing inflation. They want a secure border. They want ener- domestic energy production. Yeah, I, I think that the more they talk about it, uh, the more closely that Americans look at what it actually means, the more of a liability this actually is for them. Yeah, and the, the mixed messages, I, if, people have probably heard this, but the, the contrast in what Kamala Harris says in her own words, let's go to cut 22. It's a term we're very proud of, I must tell you, because Bidenomics is working. It's working. Most Americans are a $400 unexpected expense away from bankruptcy. Uh, she just said that recently, a few days ago, um, while she was in Iowa. I, I, I don't know how you're able to say both. Oh, it's totally working, but most Americans are $400 away from bankruptcy. That doesn't sound like it's working. Yeah, no, it's not. And if you were to ask them what actually Bidenomics is, it's just going to be more political talking points and more sound bites more poll-tested messaging. So, well, Bidenomics, that's making the wealthy pay their fair share. Like, you can't ever get to the point with them where they're actually going to tell you what it is that is the fair share. Like, well, what's the number? Because if you try to do everything that the left has set out with a promise to voters, free everything, free health care, free education, free housing, money on top of it, the list goes on, if you try to do everything that is in the left agenda, forget about raising taxes on the wealthy. You can confiscate 100% of the wealth, not tax, take, confiscate all of the money of the wealthiest Americans. You still don't have enough money to pay for what it is that they are promising to do. So my question to them would be like, you want to make the wealthy pay their fair share? What's the tax rate? Let's say it's, it, you can make it whatever you want, but there's never going to be that point in time where they're going to cut through the crap and stop talking through political sound bites and poll-tested messaging and actually talk policy. And that's, that's their problem is because if you do take that conversation next level, talking policy, then they end up getting burned by people who actually care about the substance rather than just the rhetoric. Yeah. You know, if they wanted to, you know, make sure the rich are paying their fair share. How about Hunter Biden? He didn't pay his fair share. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of ironic, isn't it, that the the Republicans want to hold that person accountable to pay their fair share. But it's really the Democrats that have no problem with somebody skirting off and just getting, you know, hey, just don't do that again. OK, please. Um, they're oh, just I mean, flying with it. Giving out like uh, the, you know the tax grants that they'll give to friends in Hollywood. Yes. Uh, you know, New York has a, bill, a big one with a film tax credit, and they get to hang out at the red carpet and get invited to the Met Gala and do all this other you know fun celebrity perks. And if if you're on the inside, you have a big fat exclusion 
to their policies on anything that will cause pain on everybody else. You can essentially buy your way in to special exceptions in their heart and quite often in their policy uh, by helping them stay in power. Uh, but if, if you don't play along with that game, if you're not, if you're not kissing their butt, then you're going to find yourself on the side where they'll they'll be boycotting your business, they'll they'll be doxing you, they'll be outside of your home and your place of employment harassing you. Uh, it, it is such a clear, uh, obvious, transparent double standard loaded up with hypocrisy. And you don't have to be wealthy to see through it. You don't have to be middle America to see through it. You don't have to be lower income to see through it. Everyone realizes what this is right now. And I really hope that voters are going to be far smarter than the way Democrats are not giving them enough credit and showing up to the polls to take back our country. Lee Zeldin, I always love it when you're fired up, Lee. And I can tell you're fired up today. That's good. That's good. I, I listen. I hope to see uh, you and your wife soon, and I hope you to have the wonderful, wonderful summer. Thanks for joining us on Fox Across America. Do appreciate it. Yeah, you got it. Great to be with you. Take care. All right. Take care, and we'll be right back. Stay with us. It's America's number one radio lunch date. Get your hands out of my fries. Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Buy your own damn fries. Hey, it's Jason Chaffetz filling in for uh, Jimmy. I love doing this. Thanks, Jimmy, for letting me do it. I really do appreciate it. He's got a good staff, a good, good group that helps put together everything, get all the guests lined up, and uh, I've enjoyed it. I really did enjoy it. But I've got one more thing I really want to talk about, and that is immigration. Because you know what? I'm all in favor of good legal immigration, and I think we're failing the country by all this discussion and, and prioritization of people that are coming here illegally. And it's, uh, I've always bothered me about what's going on with, um, you know, inviting so many people to essentially just come into our country, not taking care of a business the right way. Um, and these sanctuary cities and these sanctuary states, you thought it was all politically correct to talk about it until guess what? They started showing up. And now that they're showing up, they're singing a different tune. Let's go to cut 27. This is Mayor Eric Adams of New York City. Eventually, this was going to come to a neighborhood near you. Having someone embedded is a good start. That, that came from the Secretary of Homeland Security. We want to thank him. But I've been very clear on what we need. We need to control the border. We need to call a state of emergency, and we need to properly fund this national crisis. Oh, oh, really? We need to control the border. You weren't saying that before. That's not the Democratic position on the border. They give us a little lip service to it. But when it comes to actually implementing policies like Donald Trump did in locking down the border, you know, getting rid of the rewards and incentives, um, building a wall and a barrier so that it, people come through the ports of entry. No, 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 no. That's not what we've heard. And so all of a sudden now, you know, they say, well, we need to lock down the border. We need comprehensive immigration reform. No, we don't. We need to enforce the current law. And if you want to do immigration, uh, comprehensive immigration reform, then introduce a bill. Democrats give all that. Oh, we, the solution's right there in front of us. We need comprehensive immigration reform. We need leadership. 
Well, then do it. Offer the leadership and offer the bill. But that's not what they do. Go to Cut 28. Again, Kamala Harris, who's supposed to be leading on this as our borders are. Let's agree that people should not be the pawns in a political game. Human beings should not be treated as pawns in a political game. What is happening in terms of sending these migrants, most of whom have fleed great harm, and sending them across the country for the sake of some political showmanship is just irresponsible. If you want to deal with the problem, then do it if you are a leader by participating in the solution. And she's supposed to be the leader. She's in the leadership position. She's been granted this by uh, President Biden to take out the lead. She's so no leadership to just say, oh, they shouldn't be used as pawns. Well, how about tacitly engaging in human trafficking by inviting people to come into this country and telling them that they won't be deported? That's the fundamental problem. What she has done the Biden-Harris administration with Secretary Mayorkas is they provided the incentive. They allowed people to come into this country illegally. They were the ones that were transporting people in the middle of the night to different parts of the country. So don't tell me that Governor Abbott or, or uh, you know Ron DeSantis sent a couple people into Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts and that that was the big problem out there. That is not, oh, they're playing them as pawns. You know what they did there in Massachusetts? Got rid of them as fast as they could. They say, they claim they're, you know, we're sanctuary state. We do, you can come here, feel comfortable. But now all they're doing is complaining about it. And at least one person who is traditionally known on the left is recognizing this. Bill Maher, Cut 26. And it's just a good example of, could everybody just stop the posturing? Don't pretend that you love migrants so much, and then when we send them to you, you don't like them. You know? Mm -hmm. You're full of <laughs> and we can see that. Yeah, you like them when it wasn't your problem because you're not a border state. <laughs> and then when they show up in Chicago and New York, you're like, what the is are we going to do with these people? Yeah. You know? And there's got to be a solution to this that is compassionate, yeah, the compassionate way to deal with this is to make sure that they stay in their country of origin, that the people who are actually trying to seriously apply for asylum go to a port of entry. You go to the port of entry, you can claim asylum. But when you run through the middle, guess what? That's being that's what we call human trafficking. That's what the drug cartels want you to do. That's why the drug cartels are doing this, because they're moving across fentanyl. They're moving, moving across drugs. They're doing human trafficking, sex trafficking. All of these negative things are happening because they're running them through the port, not through the ports of entry, not doing it the legal lawful way. They're doing it, trying to run up the center. And this is what's fundamentally wrong. And so now millions of people have come here illegally and they're here. And guess what? Food, education, healthcare, housing. I, I, I read a thing where we're millions of homes short of what Americans need to live. And guess what? We have millions of people that came here. What are they supposed to do? If they come across the border and they are here illegally, what are they supposed to do for all of those things? You never hear that question asked, let alone an answer in place, other than the lip service of, Kamala Harris saying, we need leadership. We shouldn't be sending them across the country. If you want to be a leader, then you need to offer leadership. That ain't going to solve it. That's why the problem is worse than ever. Listen, I'm Jason Chavitz. 
thrilled to be filling in for Jimmy. I hope you have a great and wonderful weekend. Jimmy will be back, I promise. Until then, enjoy the weekend. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.